All right, on today on AIS, we have Mike Claudio. He is the CEO of WinRate Consulting, uh, has a long history in sales and corporate sales leadership. Uh, he's a father and he is an awesome entrepreneur. So thank you, Mike, for taking the time to be on today and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, man, no, I appreciate the invite. You know, I appreciate the introduction from Nate. You know, I'm excited to kind of initiate this, our first conversation together. And so yep. those tend to always be some of the best podcast interviews because there's no context, there's no background, there's no nothing to really fall back on. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, same. Uh, I talked to many people about win rate, about yourself. Everyone was like, man, you got to talk to Mike. Such a good company, such a good guy. Uh, it sounds like your core values really align with uh, what, what I look for uh, in another company and another man. And Nate's just a great dude. I think he's yeah. been on the podcast too, talking about Riverside Decks. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's, uh, you know, it's cool to watch people really come to life too, like through the program. You know, I, I don't coach Nate directly, but I've been, you know, I've led many of the events he's been at through the organization and stuff like that. And, you know, watching people really mature and grow and flourish and simplify their life is a big part of, you know, what makes, makes me enjoy doing this for as long as I've been doing it. Cause coaching ain't easy. You know, people think it's easy. It's, it's definitely not easy. Yeah, and when I did my research on win rate, it's not just sales training. It's not just sales process and iteration. Uh, it is full service coaching, uh, mentorship, and you have the community side of it, which I think is one of the coolest parts about most of the coaching programs I look into is who's in this group and what table do, do I get to sit at, right? Because a lot of times these coaching groups are who's there, um, especially once you hit a certain level in business, it's about the people in the community and the resources that are shared. So give us yeah, a little I mean, bit about it, one rate. It started as sales only. You know, I first got into coaching. You know, when I first started helping people, I didn't know the coaching world as an industry like I know it as now. You know, it wasn't something that I really <laughs> understood or knew or, or really grasped the 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 whole world of it. I just liked helping people. You know, and I, I had some success growing a remodeling company. I had some success growing a roofing company, both from a top employee position. I didn't own either of those companies, but I was you know, one of the top employees, if not the top number two in the company. And I had a lot of success doing it. And a lot of people just kept asking me like what I was doing and how I was helping. And originally, like I was in charge of sales, marketing, and estimating was my, we'll say, core activities. Maybe not my core skill sets, but core activities. And when I first got into coaching, it was primarily sales coaching for contractors. And yeah. the more I got into it, the longer I did it. I've been doing it full time now for five years. Um, the more people started asking other questions about their business or their leadership or their communication or their marriage or their fitness or their mindset. And I started realizing like some of the things I've done and learned by solving my own problems and shortcomings and issues has really brought a lot of value to people in a lot of different aspects. So like we're actually in the process right now of reviewing our mission statement to see if it is even still accurate to or is it too narrow compared to what we actually do as a company now you know and so we've been you know i say i i was coaching before i started charging for it and then in 2018 we started you know the company and i started taking on clients and you know we're doing it full time well, and you know we've coached almost you know i believe the number is a little over 300 companies in the last five years um awesome and we help with everything you know we help with Every department, sales, marketing, operations, productions, finance, and then I, what I call the mm -hmm. mindset department, which is where mm -hmm. most CEOs probably need the most help. 
Yeah, I think you can appreciate this, right? Like you probably know a lot of what you need mm -hmm. to do, but sometimes getting the borrowed confidence <laughs> or getting the confirmation that like this is actually the right decision can be can be <laughs> what you need to actually take action on it aggressively. And you know, when you don't know what it's supposed to look like after you take action, you know, it's it's you know, you can't see the trees amongst the forest is the term. <laughs> and you know, what we do is help people No, no, that's yeah, that's hard, but keep going that way. That's right. Whereas yeah. opposed to like, you know, a lot of people, you know, take some action, ma make some initiative, make some progress, and they retract back because it gets uncomfortable. Well, what uncomfortable is wrong? What uncomfortable is right? I think is one of the biggest borrowed confidences things we bring people. Yeah, I, I can I can attest to that, the mindset side of things. You know, I've always had the motto of ready, fire, aim, kind of like that famous Apple quote uh, of yeah. just acting fast is better than not acting at all because not acting and not being progressive is an action in itself in business. Uh, yep. you, if you're staying stagnant, you're going to die. But man, I feel like most of the service industries, you know, you start your business because you're either great at the craft. Um, most of the time, especially single trades, it's I've been doing this for years. I want the independence. I want the authority. I want the freedom. I'm going to go out on my own. And then they wake up someday and they're doing, you know, 10, 20, $30 million. And they've never been in that situation before. No, they've never yeah. had to make the decisions and the calls that they have to make. And, you know, I've many times over the past few years felt like almost like the imposter outer body experience of like, am I really situated and mentally, do I have the mental strength and leadership capability to really lead an organization on the vision that I've came up with? You know, and that's a very uh, intrusive question. And I think coaches, right, people coming, uh, eclectic group of coaches from multiple industries at multiple uh, corporation sizes, really helps you pick that fork in the road and double down on your decisions because it, it can be uh it can be very lonely at the top for entrepreneurs yeah I mean, lonely is part of it you know i think sometimes having an environment you can go to where you're not responsible for every decision can just be enough to get a reprieve right you know we throw our mm -hmm. events it's, it's a really big intent for me to make sure that our clients have to make zero decisions when they get here to the point where like we, we, we even when we take clients to dinner like we have a shortened menu or the, it's just catered like people underestimate decision fatigue as a real a really widespread issue in the entrepreneurial community and so sometimes it's just giving you the freedom to take a break from decisions that help you come to the right answer to begin with and, mm -hmm. and creating that open free space for people to operate and function and have clarity is, is a big part of the groups and the events that we do and, and why we build them the way that we do but ultimately like we don't sell a process or a system or a strategy. We sell experience. We sell mentorship. We sell, we'll be here for you when you need us. And I think for some people that works really well. For some people it doesn't. Like we have a lot of prospects that are coming. Like I want you to give me a documented process to, over and you can't do that. Business is too different. What people want out of their business is too different. What they're, what the, what the, the micro nuances of everybody's industry or business or marketplace is different. So there, I don't believe you can build a process for business. Yeah. What we, what we sell is helping people create clarity on what they want, helping them analyze where they are and then walking with them along that journey to get to that destination. Because, you know, most people, ego drives a big role in their target setting you know, the opinion of others drives a big role in it. And, and you know, if I told you right now, you could guarantee take home 50 grand a month forever and enjoy, live an enjoyable, you'd be like, that sounds pretty good. Then you don't need a fucking $20 million company to do that. You know, so what are you building it for? Like you're building it because you want a mm -hmm. $20 million company or because other people told you you should want a $20 million company. 
You want to help people create clarity and determine what is real, what do they actually (laughs) want, and then what is it going to take to get there. And most of the time, it's you don't need as much as you think you do to have the lifestyle you want if you (laughs) just got selfish and said, no, this is really what this is really all I want, and I want to be okay with that. <laughs> Yo, I'm I'm like my my ideal lifestyle. I need to take home 50, 60 grand a month, which is like a lot of money. I'm not minimizing that, but I don't need to build a twenty million dollar company to do that. I can run a really profitable six million dollar company, like and do that. And like that's I'm cool with that. Like and I'm that's good for me. I'm I'm happy with that. I'm and I'm impacting thousands of lives to accomplish that. But I'm I don't need to build a eight-figure company to have what I want right now. And that might change at some point, but I have a seven- and five-year-old son. I don't want to be traveling for speaking all the time. I don't want to be going to events all the time. I don't want to be constantly on the grind, out and about, meeting with people all the time. I did that for years to build this. I want to be home with them now. We're homeschooling now. You know, I want to be involved in that. I want to be around to help my wife with that. I want to be around. Just because I even just think the presence of a father figure in the home creates a different dynamic to the routine of the day. And like, that's more important to me right now than making a hundred grand a month. And I think if more people just got really selfish with what they actually wanted, they probably wouldn't put themselves in that level of discomfort. You just mentioned at that 20, $30 million mark for just, yeah. just because. Well, I feel like there's no, that's almost what's expected, right? In a way, mm-hmm. I think there are people that have clarity on, you know, what type of lifestyle they're looking for and the means that would bring comfort and maybe some financial freedom to their life. But if you go on Twitter, right, and you're looking at, you know, solopreneurs and all these other industries, it's scale, 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 uh, you know, go multi-market, build a franchise model, do all this stuff. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you've struggled with this in the past too, there's always that shiny thing, right? There's always a little bit more. You hit the first goal and it's like, I'm not really satisfied not yet. So I think it's almost more of like inner clarity, like you mentioned, and having a clear vision on what success looks like for you and your family. And I love that you're a family man like that because that is most important. I have three boys as well. Uh, you have to have three, uh, six, five, and three. And we're just bought some land out in the country. We're planning on homeschooling. And I'm looking at the future and like, well, gosh, I want to be there for that, right? Yep. Like I want to build that chicken coop with my son. I want to teach them skills. I want to be present. Uh, does a $50 million company align with my financial or my family goals? Um, well, and, and I think questions. part of it too is, is that it's, it's, I'm not suggesting that I don't grind and hustle and seek to improve and evolve. I just think there's so, there's other scoreboards in life that are more important than gross revenue, right? Because like, mm-hmm. Yeah, you might be able to get 50 million, but like at what sacrifice as a husband or what sacrifice as a father, what sacrifice in your fitness or your mental health or physical health, like in your habits, you know? So like when I pivoted away from how big can I grow this company, I put the same amount of effort and the same amount of focus, same amount of discipline to do, how do I be the most present husband, the most present father that I can be? And I think it's just, I think people put most of their emphasis on one scoreboard, gross revenue. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of other things you can put the same amount of discipline that don't that does not have the same public recognition as as the other ones. But I, you know, for me, is just a lot more important. Well, and I think growth, like, because that's the, that's a low hanging fruit, right? You think of growth, you think of revenue, right? You think getting yep. bigger. Where I think there's something to be said about strategic plateaus and building out growth internally to extend the LTV of your clients, especially like at a, a consulting or, or a business firm, right? Like the yeah. lifetime value of my client as a as a renovation contractor is very low, 
right? Because yep. they're usually doing one remodel. And maybe 15 years down the road, they might give us a call, but the lifetime value of that, aside from referrals, is very low. Whereas yep. if you want to hit $8 million in revenue and you want to plateau there and that's your comfort spot and it's a good work-life balance, it's a good financial freedom number for you guys, then you can just hop in internally and then how much, how much more value can we give our, our clients to make them want to come back and stay with us and build community with us, um, mm. which is a whole different growth factor that I think is more important than revenue because we can do 50 million, right? But if we are not giving the customer experience and the value to our clients, what's it all for? You're going to get a, it's, it's for naught. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think that's been a big part of what has, what I would say accelerated our growth is I've always put more money into retention than I have in acquisition. Like, Love because we, we, we are monthly reoccurring and like our average client lifespan right now is 20 months. You know, in an industry where like, you know, three That's to six huge. months is typically like, it's huge. It is massive. Huge. And I don't yeah. take that for granted at all. We, we focus every event on getting better. We focus on every coaching call and how can we improve value. We look like I'm, I'm spending over six figures on an app right now to help solely with our client experience. Like it is not monetizable. Yeah. It is not for the public. It is strictly for our clients and their overall experience because, you know, it's really easy to scale a monthly reoccurring model when you have retention. When you don't, it is a freaking bear. And I'm not interested in hunting new people all the time. Like I have clients I've been working with for over three years. You know, like I'm, I'm basically part of their company now. You know, like I've been working with them for so long. I would take that over having a new client every month, every day. You know, and it's so much more enjoyable. Yeah. It's so much better. It's the value all, like multiplies over time because you have such a better understanding of that person's ecosystem. The advice you give becomes more more tactical and more specific. And I think it's just it's been a huge part of why Winry has grown is we have a, we have an incredibly high retention rate. And I feel like it has to be very fulfilling, right, to be in someone's business for as long like three years and just to see their personal development, see how their culture, uh, their yep. business is you know getting healthier and healthier. It has to be super fulfilling. And so let's fast, let's uh, rewind here real quick. Your corporate background, you know, you're yeah. at Verizon, you have corporate sales background. Um, how does that translate into what you're doing now? What really like made that spark happen to where I want to do this? Win rate. So when I, uh, what I got uh, burnt out on corporate America, which is, so I kind of got, I fell into a remodeling company. Not, I, not, I, I, I like, I searched it out. But what really were the, the differential was like the professional communication right. level that was like a job requirement in corporate America became a wild competitive advantage in the home service space. You know, yeah. even something as simple as calling people back, responding to emails, yeah. communicating professionally, being on time, tucking your shirt in, like being clean shaved, like, you know, at least trimmed up, you know, and, and what was a job requirement in one space became a giant competitive advantage. I don't, I still can't teach you how to construct a damn thing. I'm not a constructor. I am a, I'm very good at building business. And yeah. so I found a lot of success in this space because of, you know, the amount of training I had at Verizon around being a differentiating, a very consultative approach, a very high professionalism. I brought that into this space and I believe the space is caught up a little bit to when I got into it, like almost 10 years ago. When I get into it 10 years ago, like the way I was using social media, the way that I was communicating with clients, the way that I was delivering a more professional overall, I'm not saying it wasn't there, but it's not, I believe it's, it's more prevalent now than it was 10 years ago. And look, I sold $2.5 million in remodeling projects in my first year, and I couldn't tell you how to construct a damn thing. And we did a really good job. Like we, I grew that company well, and 
you know, a big part of that was just the general skill development I had from corporate America and my my structure and my accountability, my time management, my task management, mm-hmm. my follow through, which I had yeah, the to bar do so there much to higher. win. Which I yeah. had to do there to win. Like to keep my job at Verizon, I mm-hmm. had to do those things. It was like the floor. Like showing up to meetings on time was like the floor. Like if you can't do this, you gonna yeah. get fired. In construction, I was like I was getting praised it's a wild west, man. I was getting praised by clients for being on time. I'm like, it shouldn't be that surprising that I'm here on time, but it was, you know, and, and I, I really did a good job developing systems and processes and then really learning how to train others on those things that, you know, has really turned the company into what it is now. So how did not coming from the industry? Uh, I mean, I think you answered some perspective things there because similar with me, right? Um, I'm from the field by the field. I've been in construction for a little bit. Uh, I'm more on the, in our company, sales, marketing, design. That's kind of my hats, my business partners, finances, operations. Um, and when we came into the market in 2020, we scaled from like zero to 3.2 million in 12 months. Yeah. Um, it, it was a good year to get into the industry for sure. It was awesome. And I mean, we're, we're still growing from that, yep. uh, even to date, even with some, you know, more price, uh, sensitivity, I would say, yep. but we took a completely different approach than, than most contractors do. And it's exactly what you said, reverse engineer customer experience. And that's your sales process, right? Like what do people want? They yeah. want communication, right? They want to know where they're at in the process. They want, they want the Domino's pizza tracker, you know, of where they're at in your process. And they just want to be taken care of. And in our industry, that's a huge issue. It's just such a low hanging fruit for any contractor looking to get better. It's the basics of just communication and customer experience. And you're going to be fine. Because you're better than 90% of other guys out there already. I, I think one of the most widely undervalued part of the communication with clients is being willing to give them very accurate and truthful expectations. Yeah. Like, this is going to suck. You are going to hate the drywall phase. Like, yep. there are going to be subs that don't show up sometime, even though they told me they're going to be there. There's going to be material delays that are outside my control. Here's what's going to happen when these things happen. People want, they, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about the expectations. They don't want to talk about, hey, it's going to take me some time. They don't want to talk about, hey, pricing might vary. Hey, this is what happens if you decide to not pay me. Like, I, I want mm-hmm. you to know now this is the action I'm going to take so that you are informed if you decide to go that route. Like, people want to, like, they don't want to, it's not, I'm not saying they're liars, but they want to leave out some truths. Well, they want to look hope, good. Hoping yeah. that those problems don't come up when we know 99% of the time something's going to happen, right? Yep. And the client, I might guarantee my, my client, I would say the clients in general want to know not what happens when everything goes right. What are you going to do as the contractor when something goes wrong? That's what they yep. really want to know. They want to minimize their risk analysis because they're going to pay yep. you a large sum of money with hope that you're going to follow through and make their internal vision come to life. Yep. Even something as simple as saying what you want isn't possible for your budget. Yeah, one of the greatest a, things you can tell somebody is like that ain't gonna work for what you're willing to spend. Mm-hmm. As early in the process as possible. Hey, show me some Pinterest ideas you have, and you're looking at you're like, you know, this is like a fifteen thousand dollar refrigerator, right? Because I don't want you to think you're getting this for your forty two thousand mm-hmm. dollar budget. Yep, and because they just don't know, <laughs> like they don't know, they don't, they don't. And, yeah, and they I think, think it's I think just normal. Are, they're so afraid to push back and give proper expectations on the downside. That, that that that's where I think the industry went wrong. They they just they want to pretend everything's going to go right and like everything goes wrong every project at some point. Yep, 
So I would agree. Yeah. And even in the sales process, like, you know, that first initial, even phone call, when you're talking about expectations, like all those should be addressed. But when you're on site, I think leading with those types of situations and variables that could happen in the project and then reverse engineering back to our process and how we solve that problem. Because the one thing I tell customers is the only guarantee in construction is something's not going to go to plan, right? Uh, especially in like the 2020 to 2022 space, it was like, we lost half our company for three, four months, right? Yeah. Everyone had COVID. Everyone yeah. was sick. No one wanted to come. Like it was just, yeah. it was a nightmare. And the only guarantee is something's not going to go right. Now you've coached over 300 companies or, or win rate has you know been influencing 300 companies in their process, decision-making, client experience, how to run their business. I want to talk to you a little bit about company structure what companies do you feel are the most efficient? And if a contractor is running into an issue right now with you know, efficiencies and operations or sales to operations communication and translating what was sold into something that could be produced, uh, what do you find in the most efficient, successful companies that you've coached? What are the key traits there? I think, the, I think one of the biggest ones is just a consistent meeting cadence is one of the biggest things where you have forced problem-solving interaction. You know, I have clients that, hey. like, they're doing 5 to 10 million. Like, when's, like, how often do you guys meet as a team? I don't know, like, once a month. That ain't going to work. Like, that is not going to work. And so if I look at the companies that build the most efficiencies, it's the ones that diligently protect the boundaries around problem-solving meetings. You know, whether yeah. that's pipeline meetings, sales process meetings, marketing meetings, you know, production meetings, operations meetings, team, like, initiative meetings, you know. I'm not saying, be like, have an ab abundance of meetings, but the companies that are the most efficient at, at, at overcoming and eliminating, not just solving problems, right? What I look at solving problems is, okay, we, we, we hushed that baby. It's mm -hmm. eliminating problems, right? Like True I want solutions. to eliminate it yeah. so it doesn't happen again. Not just solve the problems that came from this one and soothe that customer or soothe that sub or soothe that supplier. I want to make sure this never happens again. How can we right. make sure this never happens again if you just if you had if you asked that question once a week for the rest of the year, you'd be a lot more efficient going into 2024 than you are right now. But most companies that. don't protect time as a team to solve problems. That I think that that's one of the most consistent themes I see when it comes to who is successful and who is not. So, what, how do you feel about EOS? The I like it. Entrepreneurial. I think it's like a lot okay. of things. Like people kind of make it their own. Yeah, you know, I, I use parts yeah. of it. I don't use all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I think it's a really good structure for how to hold the entire team accountable to an agenda. You know, like it gives you a framework that you can individually, because I think most CEOs struggle ho holding their key leaders accountable out okay. of fear of leaving that, them leaving or a fear of pissing them off or fear of getting it wrong. Right. I think a lot of leaders are afraid to be wrong. One of my mm -hmm. favorite attributes of myself was like, I'm afraid, I'm not afraid of like, yeah, I messed that one up. Let's try it differently next time. You know, and like continually evolve and failing forward is one of our core values. And so like, I talk about it like, hey, I failed and that's okay. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And so- Yeah, I think EOS is like, I feel like the 80-20 rule. I think 20% of the the tasks and, and yeah. really this framework structure that you get from reading, you know, traction, implementing EOS- 
provides 80% of those outcomes. And I do think the meetings, the level 10 meetings, yeah. getting into the, we call them trees and weeds. You know, they talk about the rocks and everything in there, but <laughs> we call them trees and weeds. You know, yeah. the weeds <laughs> are the things we can pick really quick in the trees. Yeah. You know, we're going to have to get the excavator out. We're going to have to do some deep digging here, get it by the roots. And uh, that's a big quarterly issue. Yeah. Um, no, I like that. That's yeah, good. I, yeah, I, I agree though, man, the weekly meetings and cause we, when we first started and obviously scaling as fast as we were trying to scale, there was process built out prior, right? We, we built out this process. We said, I think this could handle this much production capacity. And we put people in those hats. They have their deliverables and we're off to the races, right? Uh, now it's just a math equation on marketing to get as many leads as we can. Yep. We need estimate ratio optimization and sell. Like that's what it is. It came down to a math equation. We quickly found that it is very hard to standardize something so custom, right? You're touching a 500, dollars $700,000 renovation, 15 plus trades, some specialty things, x-raying slabs, you know, doing all this crazy shit. And it's hard to standardize process. And I liked how you said nuance because I fall in that boat as well. I fall into when you're dealing with something as large as and such a fluid thing uh, of a large scale renovation, there's a lot of nuances in there. What solutions are you giving contractors to really mitigate the risk in these large projects? And this is a selfish question because this is a question I'm still trying to answer for myself and for our company. What are you finding commonality wise and what do you think is best implemented to have everyone congruent in a large project? So one of the, I can't remember who I, I didn't, this is not my thing. I learned it from somebody. I can't remember his name. I can picture his face, I can't remember his name, but it was a project binder. And it was like, a, mm -hmm. this, it was the holy grail of where everybody went for information. I'm really yeah. big on checklists. I'm really big on peer audits. Hey, did I yep. miss anything here? Right. Cause like you said, like I came in from outside an industry and came in and asked stupid questions because I didn't know any better. Right. So if you have somebody who's a project manager or superintendent or whatever, however you call your person, right. Yeah. We'll have a peer audit of their checklist. Did I miss anything? Are there questions I should ask? So I think checklists and peer audits are really great ways that you can alleviate and proactively solve some problems down the road on high complex projects. Um, yep. But I really like having that, like the holy grail of that project, everything being printed and lives in a binder that ha there's one in the office and there's one on the job site <laughs> and like all the selections, all the variables, all the conversations, all the email <laughs> chains, everything lives there. And so, yeah, that might sound counterintuitive to a digital world, but I, I have found that being like, did you check the binder? Well, then don't fucking call <laughs> me back. Like, don't like go check it, then call me. There. And, and it's it, all the information lives in one spot because when you have that many different trades and that many different leaders or that many different sales or you got the sales, you got the designer, you got the architect, you got the, the production person, you got all these people involved. And there's so many conversations that happens in so many different places. Some of those happen in person. I have a strict rule on there. Like you are not allowed to have a conversation in person with a client that is not immediately documented before leaving and getting their buy-in that that kind like what you just outlined is what the conversation was. You know, yep. like change orders, for instance, is a big one, right? You are not allowed to leave a client's house until you've sent them an email with the change order, gotten feedback from them, approving the change order, or whatever the next step is. Because it's so easy to just miss a little thing here or there that costs the company. You know, you're not operating on 40% net profit, right? You can't afford to no. miss a $1,500 item. You know, that eats yep. away at a lot of things. And so, but I, 
if I look at big complex remodeling projects, having a strict policy around documentation of conversations and information in one spot um, for all people is, is a best practice that I utilized when I was doing remodels um, years ago. And, you know, I wasn't doing, uh, you know, like the biggest one I did was 450. So like still complex, right? There was, it was an addition so remodel, right? A lot of moving parts. Yeah. It was like a master suite addition plus kitchen remodel. You physically can't have more decisions made than in a master suite addition plus a kitchen. Like that's literally like all the decisions, right? It's like it, every yeah, possible yeah. finish and fixture was part of that process. <laughs> and so, yeah, we had the master sheet and it, it came, I'll oh. tell you, it came in handy with CYA around the clients. I didn't say that. Well, here's where you approved it, right? Here's yep. where you oh, said you that's the cover you wanted. All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, but I, but I would say the biggest thing to your question on eliminating as much of that confusion and misses is having very clearly act, like checklists as part of the process and then peer audits of the work before finalizing anything can be yep. really big things that allow the, like if you have two project managers one project manager does a checklist. The other person audits it to make sure that they're not missing anything because they're not emotionally, they haven't been looking at those plans every day for three weeks. And like that, that ignorance of what's going on allows them to ask questions that maybe the person that was in it for so long wasn't asking themselves. Yeah, I would hundred percent agree. And we built something very similar. So we have like four layers of management between the customer and let's say myself or, or my business partner. Um, and every single person, because our, our, our average job size is just under a quarter million. What you just described is typically what we take on, right? We're doing a home addition with yeah. a master suite. Uh, we're doing a full kitchen addition, flooring, paint throughout the house, like a lot of, a lot of moving parts. Yep. And we do everything off a of drive. So we're a G suite type company. We are uploading all of the sub bids into there. We're having an operational checklist that my business partner built out, which is like going to be incredible for our process and aligning design, you know, interior designers that are in-house architects, because one of the biggest pains in the ass, man, is when a homeowner goes out, get a set of architectural plans, brings them in, gives them to us, we're bidding off plans, and then it goes to our designer, and then the homeowner all of a sudden wants all this stuff that is not included in the plans, and the estimated price of this project and the budgeting phase of this project gets shot out of the water what? by, you know, all of these grandiose finishes and putting a skylight here and solar tubes here and all this other stuff. So I think it's a trial and error and there's just so much that goes on into the contracting space that it's really business on hard mode, man. And I'm sure you guys got your handful with uh, all these contractors calling you like, what do I do? Like, how do I fix this problem? Because there's just I mean, so many little weeds that pop up. I don't think most contractors are built to do the size work you guys are doing. And I think if most people just accepted that fact, they'd probably be more profitable. Yeah. Right, like running running a like running a multi six figure remodel company, like average project size, that is not for everyone. Like it's just not. Like most people would make mm -hmm. more money averaging eighty to one hundred and twenty grand a project, and getting in, knocking it out, knocking it out quickly, building some very repeatable processes, building some very repeatable options, getting very diligent on who their ideal client is. I think more more contractors would make more money at that price point, they're trying to chase half million dollar projects. Most are not built for that. Yeah. You know, you're a businessman who happens to do construction. And if, and if more contractors just accepted the fact they're not businessmen and can just go make really good money with a simpler process, I think more people are probably happier too. Yeah, when we were reverse engineering our avatar, 
there's, you know, the kitchen and bath space. Like you look at rebath, right? Simple scales, fancy yep. fails type of, you know, business model. Yep. And I was on the phone with, I'm not sure if you know, Brian Gottlieb. He's a, he ran Tundra Land. He acquired yep. Renewal by Anderson out in Wisconsin. Awesome dude. Had a phone call with him yesterday. He's coming on the podcast pretty soon. Um, and I was talking to him and he was like, you know what? Like I went through these evolutions in my business of we're trying to do too much. Right. We're not going to get to the end goal here by just trying to do too much. We need to niche this down. We need to make a simplified process, something like be on repeat. And I have it on my board. He was doing 700 projects a month at one point. He had uh, 150 million in over 600 employees, 150 plus million. And he was telling me all this and how he got to that. And I was like, my gosh, man, that is just a Goliath. And the whole premise is simple scales, fancy fails. Yep. And I was talking to my business partner about it and actually our producer. And I was like, because we saw a hole in the market, right? We looked at all these uh, chuck in a truck type contractors trying to tackle these five, six, $700,000 projects. Yep. And the client experience is horrible. There yep. was a huge hole in the market for, for a process oriented quality general contractor <laughs> in that space. And now that we're in there, we're like, oh gosh, oh gosh, this is going to be, we could hit the financial, you know, the revenue figure, the top line. But everything that happens between us and getting that final check, so many variables. It's a lot. Yeah, you're, you're counting on a lot of other people to do their job, and that's a really hard. Yeah, that's a, yeah. You're you're very much so out of control. Well, not I your, figured not, the only way to really control, control. You're, just, you're not in control of the of the individual assets. You're not on the driver's seat of every. Yeah, right. I think the only way to to really fix that problem is to get as vertical as possible. You know, yeah. start acquiring off your P and L start bringing all that in-house, but then you're looking at more variables, right? Different. You're running more companies, yeah. you're, you're doing more stuff. It's a, the acquisition model gets crazy too. And also like keeping guys busy because you have to, because you, you'll lose them if you don't, it, it's harder than just subbing crews in when you need them. You know, there's, there's pros yeah. and cons. Of, like I got clients right now going in both directions. I got some clients getting rid of all their in-house labor going full sub model. I got some people have been full sub trying to bring in like a more specialty finished crew. You know, okay. my opinion is stick to the sub side, you know, managing, you know, you're not an expert at every trade, so you can't make them better at their jobs. And like, mm -hmm. that's my perspective on it, right? Like you can't, like, if you don't know electrical, you can't make them better. Go hire an expert electrician and like, it's his job to make his team better. You know, and I yeah. think it's hard to keep that stuff in house. Like just go hire the company who does it every day. Yeah, um, I, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm more like of a the, sub fan. I, I would agree, you know, in, in hindsight, I, I love having in-house flexibility. I love being able to go fix a problem with in-house labor. Yep. I think for the magnitude of projects, being a true general contractor and paper pushing a little bit makes a little bit more sense for the homeowner and, and for the contractor. Like you said, there's some things that I can't hire a specialty, you know, clad finish carpenter or, or stone or mason, uh, because I might only have one of those projects a year or two of those right. projects a year, right? What yep. else am I going to do with him? He doesn't know framing. He doesn't know drywall. He doesn't know flooring or paint. Uh, so I, I would agree with that in a lot of ways. So between the replacement and service industry type contractors, uh, single trades, you know, siding and windows, you know, roofing and gutter, you know, type setup of a company um, compared to a general contractor like ourselves, what do you prefer? Do you prefer hopping in as a business coach into that, that multifaceted beast of a business and really dissecting, you know, the core problems in there? Or do you like scaling a more simple business model and seeing them grow quickly and 
and the success in a single trade model. Where do you lie? I I don't have a preference to be honest. Um, nice. You know, I do so much more leadership training. It's kind of universal. You know, I I, yeah. I do I do substantial more communication, leadership, mindset stuff at this point. That it doesn't really matter what the company is specifically. I'm working on the leader himself. Um, but no one's ever asked me that question before. I really haven't thought about it. I, I I wouldn't say I prefer one or the other. You know, I have a client right now that's doing you know 15 or 16 million in remodel work, and I have clients that are doing four or five million in single trade stuff. And I like working with both of them equally because I'm working with the leader themselves. I like the human. I like the person I work with equally. So yeah. I, I don't think I have a preference because, you know, like I said earlier, like I really like helping people define and document what they want out of life and then helping their machine deliver that for them. And so I don't have a preference on one side or the other because I definitely am more, I have I have navigated more towards life coaching than business coaching specifically. And not yeah. because I wanted to, it just, you know, the conversations have led me there, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah. And I imagine someone that is, you know, mentally fit, physically fit, has a great work-life balance, a happy wife, a happy family, probably produces a lot better at work, I would imagine. 100%. And then the business follows you. You know, how you feel it, at the, it follows the work. the leader. You, you, yeah, your, your, your employees are going to follow that. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like I said earlier too, like most people know what they need to do. They just don't have the confidence to take action on it. So making you more confident helps your business produce better too. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely fix the leader and the leader fixes the business has been a big strategy unintentionally. I didn't go that route on purpose is definitely where I find myself though. Nice. And your guys' plans are mostly annual, correct? Correct. Yeah. Which I love that too. Cause like you said, with the, the churn in that industry of, of coaching, consulting, you know, people, you know, go two months and they're like, ah, not for me, not working, but they don't really put the work in and build a relationship with that coach actually iterate anything or learn any skills no, no um, so i like that i want to be well. i want to be with you through all four seasons because i don't want to see you only when things are okay i want to see when you break on the low end and i want to see where you break on the high end because seeing when things are just comfortable you know in <laughs> january february doesn't really help me understand what's going on inside your company makes sense yeah well mike anything you want to tell the audience anything uh anywhere we could plug you try to help win rate in any way we can. I mean, look, if, you, if you're a podcast listener and you want to go listen to the big stud podcast, I've been, there's like 370 there episodes there. Yeah. Um, outside of that, man, I just like helping people. There's a ton of free content between the YouTube and the, and the podcast. So if you just go to MikeClaudio.com, it has the links to everything and you can check out my wife and my podcast, uh, our nonprofit, um, the YouTube, the win rate, all of it's all there. If you just go to myclaudio.com, you can find, you know, all the things that I'm, in, I'm involved in. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time this morning and I wish you all the success in the future. And, uh, thank you. Absolutely, man. Appreciate the invite.